All right, hi. My name is Luke Sinfersha. This is our first Free Thought Initiative podcast. I'm here with Jacob Gertz. I'm just going to start us off by telling you guys why we're here and what we're doing. We know that we're not the most educated or qualified to be speaking on these topics, but we feel like they aren't spoken about enough, and really they do affect everybody. We think that critical thinking is a very important thing that everyone should do and needs to do, and there's not enough of it in this world Mm -hmm. today. So um, we're open to criticism, and we really want to keep an open mind. So if you guys have any comments or thoughts, please, please don't be shy. I mean, we're just here trying to spread the word about things we think are important. So... Uh, today, Jacob's kind of going to be leading the podcast. He has his topic and research done, and uh, I'll just be here to add, you know, side comments and anything I can bring to make the experience a little better. All right. Thank you, Lucas. So today I'm going to be talking about globalism versus nationalism and kind of what's happening right now. So I'm going to start off the Italian election that just took place um, last week. So, Georgia Maloney, the very first female Italian prime minister ever elected, she is a conservative, she's a nationalist, and she won the election. So, automatically, Europe was terrified. They were terrified by the fact that a nationalist has risen to power. And she was in a party that had some fascist background during World War II, but Obviously, she condemned any of that and any anti-Semitic things from the past during World War II. But they slandered her. The media slandered her. They called her an extremist, a Nazi, and all the bad things that, quite frankly, just aren't true. But and these are just the words that they that they put on people that they don't like. Yeah, they put them on to scare the public, but exactly. it's not working, obviously. So what I'm going to talk about is what she said when she won the election, what her speech was. It's a little clip, but she says, Why is the family an enemy? Because it is our identity, so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity, they attack gender identity, they attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. No, I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number, because when I am only a number, When I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. We want to defend the value of the human being, every single human being, because each of us has a unique genetic code that is unrepeatable. And like it or not, that is sacred. We will defend it. We will defend God, country, and family, because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. So can you unpack that a little bit? So globalists, big bankers, big corporations, they hate identity. They hate the fact that people can think for themselves. They are individuals, and they hate individual thinking. They want the masses. They want the hive mentality. They want numbers on the screen. They want consumers. They want they want variables, data points. They want all of that. They and don't especially if they can get everyone to act the exact same. Exactly. They'll be more prone to buying the same. Thing, <laughs> exactly. Same and sure. Um, Klaus Schwab, the kind of ringleader of the World Economic Forum, he's famous for saying, "You will own nothing and be happy." It's kind of just 
translates into, you will be our slave and you will do what we say. So if you guys don't know what the World Economic Forum is, it's basically a bunch of uh, super, super rich people who mm-hmm. gather together. They kind of run the world in a sense. And they gather together each year and they speak on what they kind of want to do. Yeah. They release uh, a paper or like I guess an article online. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was an excerpt from that paper. That's yeah. pretty horrifying <laughs> if I'm being honest. It's terrifying and I don't understand why there isn't a revolution happening, but <laughs> who knows? But anyways, it's kind of a slap in the face to globalists. He's saying, you can't defeat us, we will resist. And I thought it's beautiful. I mean, Europe is terrified. And I'm going to tie this into what happened in Britain when Boris Johnson resigned from his office and Liz Truss was uh, placed into there. So Liz Truss, she was a conservative. She was also a nationalist. And she was the shortest serving tenured prime minister in British history. But the globalists and quite frankly, the conservatives are kind of globalists in Britain, but they didn't want Liz Truss to be there because she was for, you know, energy independence, individuality, you know, finishing Brexit finally. But she got kind of ousted by her own party, kind of like Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill. But... Anyways, now is a new prime minister. Um, he is a kind of green, green New Deal type of leader. He is, you know, the failed ideology of renewable energy. And when I say failed, I mean, obviously, renewable energy isn't bad. It's just we're not ready to transition yet. But anyways, in the midst of an energy crisis in Europe and in Britain, he's cutting off all this energy production. So... He's a globalist. He, you know, he wants power to be held in banks. And believe it or not, he was an investment banker in London before he took this office. So it, it makes sense. But anyways, this was a slap in the face to every globalist, every elitist, not just in Europe, but quite frankly, the whole world. What Maloney said was very beautiful. She put it just so simply. She said, we have identities. You can't strip us of that. And we will resist if you try yeah, and one other thing that I want to kind of tack on to what Maloney said is just kind of a belief of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, with that whole slave mind mentality yeah. and how they kind of want to strip us of everything, I think that uh, this mental health crisis that has been being portrayed in the media and obviously through our schools and, you know, just about everyone you know, I'm sure you guys are, like, sick of hearing it. But mm-hmm. I think that this idea that no matter what, when you're feeling depressed the only thing that's going to help you is a pill or the only thing that's going to help you through your anxiety is a pill. I think that it makes it real. I think that a lot of people, not to say that people don't actually have mental illness. I won't Mm -hmm. deny that some people definitely do. Uh, I just think it's a smaller number than what's actually being reported right now and what actually people think. Because if you believe that you're depressed, I mean, everyone goes through depressive Mm -hmm. states, but if you believe that you are and that you'll never be out of it, you'll stay that way. I mean, I think therefore I am, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. And I think that big pharma, big media has done an excellent job in in kind of implementing this victim mentality in people. I I like to say a patient cured is lost revenue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think you can cure yourself by you know, sleeping more mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> getting meditating, sunlight, yeah. getting sunlight, going to run, going to the gym, Yeah. then you're not going to buy more of their pills. Yeah. And if you just, you know, 
be a human, socialize, and not be on your screen 24-7, but... Eat healthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it all ties into this consumer mindset, you know. You have to buy, you have to buy, you have to buy, when really, you don't need to buy anything. And, you know, we, we think we need things when we really don't. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tie this into the movie Fight Club. Um, basically saying, you have to stop being a slave. You have to be... St- you have to stop being this white-collar slave who sits behind spreadsheets and looks at all these variables because that's all, that's all people are to big banks and big corporations. They are numbers on a sheet, and that's what they want. <laughs> big man at the top profits off the little man's work. Exactly. So back to this Maloney and globalism is we're, this isn't over, you know. Um, globalists think that we will just let this happen to us. No. They call it the Great Reset, but it's really going to be called the Great Resist because you can't successfully coerce the entire population of the world. And obviously it's failing. So I'm going to tie this into another European country, France. So France, the last two elections, there was Marie Le Pen. She's viewed as the French Trump. So she's this conservative-leaning politician, and she gets slandered. She's called a fascist a racist, all the isms and ists that there is. So the thing with French culture is they are very indecisive. They cannot decide on which side to elect, so they elect centrists. And they elected a globalist called Emmanuel Macron. He won the election this year against Le Pen, but there is a very cool number seeing. In 2017, the election before this year, Macron got 66% of the vote, a very strong showing. But this year, he only got 58. So, globalism is falling. Um, I think nationalism is on the rise, and in a good way. Nationalism has been kind of twisted and and slandered into this naughty word, when really it's not. You should not be ashamed to be proud of where you come from. You should not be ashamed of your, your nation's culture and identity. But you can, you can be ashamed of your government. That's what I always say. Your values of the country should always be your pride. Okay, so we had a little bit of a technical issue. We don't feel like starting over, uh, but we did actually not have our microphone connected, so I hope the audio quality is a little better now. Yeah. Uh, so continuing off what you were just saying with <laughs> yeah. uh, your country. Yeah, so pride. I was going to say this quote by Slobodan Milosevic. It says, he says, the loss of national identity is the greatest defeat a nation can know, and it is inevitable under the contemporary form of colonization. And to me, contemporary form of colonization is globalization, being a you know, globalist. And it's very true. <laughs> it is absolutely... I think the biggest example is the European Union. Um, I think when you have unelected officials delegating in Belgium deciding what happens in Portugal, deciding what happens in Estonia and Italy, it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of comes back to that idea of why we have representatives for our states. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily saying that it's working, Mm -hmm. but uh, in a perfect system, like, people have to be where they're making laws for or they don't know what the laws are doing. Because the country you were born in, you know the most. Obviously, I'm not going to understand situations from Lithuania I mean, you can understand, yeah. like, the cultural I, impact uh-huh. of, like, the United States yeah. making laws for India or mm-hmm. some culturally 
diverse place, yeah. you know, because <laughs> clearly that wouldn't go very yeah, well. Exactly. I don't really think I need to explain. Yeah, no, you don't need to explain. I mean, it's quite simple. But yeah, globalists try to make this world borderless. They don't want countries, they don't want identity, because all they want is a perfect slave consumer. So I'm going to tie this into the upcoming election with Brazil. So this election between Lula da Silva and Jair Bolsonaro, it's gone under the radar in terms of global news because this is actually a very important election on a global on a global scale because Brazil is the largest economy in South America. They produce a lot of cars. I think they're behind India, which is maybe fourth or fifth on national production. But anyways, Brazil is very important to have on our side as a country. So I'm going to give a little bit of background into how the current president, Jair Bolsonaro, got into power. So 2018, an election happened. Jair Bolsonaro won, absolutely shocked, shocked Brazil, shocked Latin America, because he was seen as the Brazilian Trump. You know, they slandered him, they called him racist, homophobic, all these isms and ists that exist. Right, everything that they call people to slander their name yes. makes the public afraid mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. targeted kind of uh, trigger words. Exactly. They tried to scare the public and it didn't work. He pulled off, I'd, I'd want to say a greater upset than Trump did just because of how far he was behind in the polls because what they did to him that year was shocking. They had him maybe 12% of the vote in some polls. So they were just basically telling people there's no point in voting. Exactly. They tried to demoralize his entire base, but it didn't work. He won, and he's done a great job. He's actually limited the deforestation of the Amazon. So, I mean, he's that's just one of the accomplishments he's done, but he's actually one of America's biggest allies right now, considering because China is actually buying land in Brazil, or they're trying to, for military bases. Oh, jeez. That's terrifying. It's horrifying. Oh <laughs> to my have God. our enemy's army in the same hemisphere as us. That's absolutely horrifying. But anyways, he's trying to stop that, and he's done a pretty good job. But we don't know if this will, if he can keep doing this if he doesn't win. So, But anyways, some background into the 2018 election. Three years before that election happened, there was a huge scandal. It was called Operation Car Wash. So off the coast of southern Brazil... There are these oil rigs, and that's their main source of, you know, petroleum and crude oil and all that stuff. And a city close to those oil rigs, um, Petrobras, the biggest oil company in Latin America, um, decided to have a huge project there and build a petrochemical plant to refine the oil coming in. So Petrobras is state-owned. That means that Brazil owns the company and government officials decide who goes on the board of directors and all that stuff and who runs the company. So, Right off the bat, that's yeah. kind of our <laughs> Conflict of interest already. <laughs> so usually when big projects are being started and constructed, they hire contractors. And usually contractors compete with each other and lower the cost to get hired and get the job. Right, free market. Yeah. You yeah. have the lowest cost. Exactly. So, in economics, there's this term called cartel. It's when a bunch of companies decide to work together secretly and drive up the prices and um, collude. They just collude. So, main, main contractors and developers colluded and said, listen, we're not going to do this work unless you pay what we want. 
Right. And since they were the biggest in the country, they really had all the power because who else would Petrobras go to? No one. So the cartel um, basically destroyed, you know, the economy. So the original estimated cost of the plant was $6 billion, but before it was, it was even finished, it was already up to $14 billion. So it's quite shocking there. And that's the very tip of the iceberg. It's not the fact that they work together as a cartel. It's what happened after. So this gas station in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, was being under surveillance because authorities presumed it to be used for money laundering. So it was under surveillance for a few months, and they finally found a discrepancy in one of the financial reports of it. And it turns out a very prominent money launderer, I keep forgetting his name, but a very prominent money launderer was laundering money. So the authorities came to him with a plea deal, and his very words were, if I speak, the republic will fall. So already, you know, not some good shit's about yeah, to happen. Yeah, something, something's a little... Yeah. Anyways, it turns out that what happened is the contractors and developers who raised the prices for Petrobras, they actually bribed top officials of Petrobras to keep hiring them for the project. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, when you were first telling me this, yeah. it's like, oh, I feel like they would just choose smaller contractors, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, so yeah. apparently they are paying them. Yeah, they were bribing them to keep hiring them, so, and that's not even like bad to compare to what they're then doing next. They actually bribed government officials to pass laws that benefited construction and all these oil laws, right? To make it cheaper. So make it cheaper, yeah. So they could more on the <laughs> profit more, exactly. And mm-hmm. On the back end. Exactly. And they actually the bribe money was actually used for political re-election campaigns for the current regime in power. So it, it was a power vacuum. You had this cartel of contractors and developers basically running the country. Right. So, and what happened when that was made known to the public was absolute chaos. I mean, the president at the time, Lula da Silva, who's actually running this year in this election, was put into 12 months in prison. And he can still run for president. And he can still run because the courts, the court system is very unfair in Brazil. The courts basically decide what laws get passed and don't, so... (laughs) Anyways, he got put in 12 months in prison for corruption, and his vice president got impeached for corruption, and then the interim president got charged with corruption. Oh, God. That's <laughs> exactly. awful. And so I'm assuming all of the contractors and whatnot also got put yeah. in prison. Yeah, hundreds of people got put in prison. And so, therefore, it collapsed. It collapsed. It ruined the city that the plant was being built in. And not only did it ruin cities in Brazil, it ruined cities across Latin America because Petrobras was a continental company. They had many projects in Venezuela, Colombia, Argentina, and a few countries in Central America that just stopped. You lost hundreds of thousands of jobs, indirect and direct, and it just put Brazil into an even deeper recession. So then came along this very populist former army general, Jair Bolsonaro, who was like, listen, you know, De Silva, who was put in prison, he ran these socialist reforms, we're in a recession, they're not working, we need change. We need someone who's free market, pro-individualism, pro-borders, strong military, 
and overall just a nationalist. Right now, he is set to lose the election, but I don't think that's going to happen because polls are run by media companies, and right. media companies hate nationalists. So it makes sense to demoralize your base saying, look, you have no chance of winning. Right. So even though the polls have him losing, I don't think he's going to lose. What's your opinions on that election being uh, rigged? There's a very strong chance that it will be rigged. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. It's very sad that we are even talking about rigged elections. The very thought of an election being stolen is just heartbreaking. It's, it ties into the American experiment of self-governance. Basically, elitists are saying, you can have the illusion of self-governance, but really we're just going to elect who we want, and yeah. we're going to cheat and do anything in our power to do that. <laughs> so what? I mean, yeah, it's like the it's like the golden ring in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you're invisible and you can get away with anything, yeah, you're gonna get away with it. I mean, I, I believe personally that no person would not take advantage of absolute power. No, absolutely. If you and get away with doing <laughs> bad things, you would do bad things. Absolutely, Everyone society wants. holds us together. Exactly. So there's a very good chance that you could see Bolsonaro losing, but. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I hope to God that does not happen. Right, and I'm hoping that just based on hearing this and knowing about it, we can start to spread the word a little bit. And uh, Yeah, I mean... it. More people who are educated on it. Yeah, I mean... The slower the revolution will be, yeah. or faster, I guess. I'm not, you know, I'm not Brazilian. I don't understand their issues <laughs> as much as a Brazilian does. But I, I have a sense of, you know, they kind of... They don't. They've rejected this socialist ideology last election. Mm-hmm. They said, "All right, we want someone else." Sure. So, it's very hard for someone to elect such a radical change and then switch their mind the second coming. Right. So it would be it would be kind of crazy if he lost. It would naturally. Yeah, because it <laughs> like I think about this in an American way. You can't support Trump in 2016 and not support him in 2020. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there were probably people who got switched yeah. by either the media or mm-hmm. things that he said, but very few, I assume. Exactly. Like, you you can't be an ardent Trump supporter and, and then switch. So I'm assuming that's what's going to happen in Brazil. But um, I'm very worried of fraud there. And if Bolsonaro does lose, you will see an absolute collapse in Latin America. Well, Not, so apparently yeah. Chinese moving in. Yeah, and you will see... China absolutely taking advantage of Brazil. You will see them inching closer to American homeland, and that's terrifying. (laughs) Absolutely terrifying. I agree. But I will say this to wrap this up. We are at a turning point in this world, and we are very close to the point of no return. Right now, the mass, the middle class, we still have power. We still have power to decide, you know, the fate of our nation. And if, the, if we keep electing globalists, and this is beyond party politics, because globalists don't, they, they masquerade their, their ideology behind Republican or Democrat, right? Mm-hmm. But they secretly want the same thing. So this is beyond party politics. This is between saving your identity or becoming a slave. And once we lose the power, it's over. <laughs> it's it's quite frankly over. So uh, a thought that I'd like to add to this is back in the day when people were super rich, mm-hmm. Andrew Carnegie, 
um, it is a good example yeah. of this. Uh, he had to be near his steel mills. He had to he had to live near his steel mills, mm-hmm. and no billionaire would choose to yeah. live near where they work because exactly. they can work anywhere. Mm-hmm. So in this modern age of technology, you know these billionaires, these tech billionaires, these corporations, all of their top people aren't loyal to their country anymore because they'll yeah. just go live in Cabo exactly. and come back and make sure that everything's working. Exactly. And I think that this is one of the main factors that is kind of leading to this great turn in the world it's that these people don't have to give back to their not only do they not feel mm-hmm. that they have to they literally don't have yeah, to i know because if they had lit if they lived in the states they'd have to they'd they'd want to too because yeah. i mean they wouldn't want to drive on yeah. roads where there's potholes exactly they don't want to live in a place where the trees are dying in parks mm-hmm. they have to give back but since they can just go anywhere and still yeah. run you know global companies yeah. They've lost all connection. And they're, so they're out of touch with the common person. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I've been thinking and saying this a lot lately. Uh, some people get gifted with living in the Golden Age. Mm-hmm. You know, people lived in the Golden Age of Rome. Yeah. And some people live in the downfall. Yeah. During the dark periods. And I think that we may be heading towards one very quickly right now. Absolutely. Not to say that it's the end all be all, mm-hmm. but it might be. Here's what I'm going to say. This November 8th, you won't just see Republicans taking back the House and Senate. You will see a complete rejection of globalist ideology and the globalist agenda. I hope so. That's what it is. It's going to be a slap in the face to elitists, to globalists, saying, look, we're tired of it. (laughs) We're tired of it. And you're losing. You're losing in Italy. You're losing in Brazil. You're losing in France. And you're just going to keep losing. Hopefully, The narrative is falling. Mm -hmm. And... There is hope. We still have the power to decide, but if we don't change, we will lose this power very fast. And I'd like to say, this isn't a Republican or Democrat situation. Mm -hmm. We're not arguing that you should vote Republican because of any Republican views. It's more because the Republicans are less globalist. Yes. And the hope is that, since we are the superpower of the world... Mm -hmm. Uh, at least we continue to be for the time being, yeah. uh, that would make a huge change. Mm-hmm. And th- this midterm is actually crucial because this determines if we put a halt to the globalist agenda or if we just allow it to keep happening. All right. Well, I think that concludes yep. our first podcast. I We hope you enjoyed yep. it. Um, please feel free to leave comments and uh, criticisms if you have your own views on this. I think... It might be a good idea to address comments in yeah, future podcasts. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, please leave a comment if you feel that you should, yeah. and please subscribe. I mean, it helps a lot, and it'll help get our message yeah. out further. So we hope you have thought more of the things we talked about, and we hope you do your own research and think for yourselves. Please don't listen to us and decide. We want you to think critically because that's hard to come by these days. Absolutely. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah. If you made it this far. And I guess that's it. That's the Free Thought Initiative podcast. Thank you.